Hello again, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. Also, if you have not already done so, please go onto YouTube and subscribe to our new YouTube channel In All Kinds of Weather forecast, where we will be putting our podcasting content up on YouTube. Quick word about our sponsors slash partners before my co-host Chris Yanes joins us. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We collect donations from fans and use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. If you believe that you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one is it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Number two, it is owned by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. And number three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from us, yours truly, and in all kinds of weather because they produced our new logo and our new website and the new Gator Collective website and the new Gator Collective logo. And they do all the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club, and they've still got more Gator-related stuff on the horizon. So if you're listening to this podcast and you need help in any of the aforementioned areas, rest assured Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And with that all taken care of, my co-host Chris Yanes, as promised, is on with us tonight. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Crispitz. Chris, uh, it's been, been about a week and a half since we've last potted. I think I've spoken to you once since that time. Uh, how's everything been on your end? And uh, have you been enjoying the recent recent Gator onslaught of good news? Well, it was a good weekend. Definitely enjoyed the, you know, personally, I celebrate Easter. So it was good to get with family and celebrate Easter. I know you were with your family celebrating Passover. Really cool convergence of holidays there all in the same time frame. So that was nice to see. But yeah, it was good to just kind of relax a little bit, play some golf, watch some Gator baseball. And then uh, as the week starts here, already reeling in some big time commitments. And as we'll get into a little bit later, I don't think we're done getting those commitments. Probably should have let off with the holidays since we're going to we're going to do the small talk bit at the start of the pod. May as well said, yeah, happy Easter, Chris. Happy, uh, happy holidays to everyone, uh, regardless of whatever that holiday that you may may observe may be. Happy Passover. Happy Easter. Hope you had a good time with your family. I mean, to me. I mean, I think it's cool that, you know, we have very two very different backgrounds religious-wise um, or religion-wise, you being very, um, very religious Christian, me being a uh, somewhat observant Jew. I think it's cool that we can come together for something like the Florida Gators. And speaking of, Chris, we have a lot of stuff to get to. Um, I, the, the one that I think that most people are talking about, at least right now, you know, Gator Nation, that can change. But right now, I think the most buzz circles around Austin Simmons, technically a dual sport athlete, also a very gifted baseball pitcher. He had scholarship offers to Florida and Georgia Tech. Those are, I mean, Georgia Tech, not quite Florida level, but still two very good 
power five programs along with a bunch of lower level D one schools. I think most of the focus with him though, is going to be on football. So Chris, what's your take on Austin Simmons and where do you think he fits into the skater football program with DJ Lagway coming in a year before him? It's, it's an exciting thing to be able to not just lock in your 2024 commitment for quarterback, but then now 2025. And of course there is the rumor out there that he potentially will reclassify. He said he's not at this time going to, but there is a lot of buzz behind him reclassifying even up to 2023, which would be fantastic for this quarterback room. I don't think we're expecting him to start this fall in 2023. If he were to reclassify and, and show up on campus this summer, but it's great to have another mind, another arm in that quarterback room working with each other and and watching film and then also developing. So if he is indeed coming this summer, you know, that's a redshirt year for him. And he has an opportunity to work his way up into that starting rotation to compete with DJ Lagway when he gets here in 2024. As far as what he brings to the table as an athlete, he's an incredible athlete. He can throw the football. He can run the football. But he has a very impressive arm. I mean, this is a guy as a sophomore already completing over two thirds of his passes at 67%. And he's doing it at a rate where he's attempting double digit yards per attempt, which is another fantastic statistic to be looking at. And that, that stuff does translate from the high school game to the college game. So I, I think it's it's great to see that he has some a very impressive arm strength. He does have a limited film from what we've seen from Huddle and, and what, out, what is out there. But he plays very good good high school football down in Pahokee, near Lake Okeechobee. We talked about it on the, on the last podcast. This is an area near Belle Glade, the Palm Beach schools. Those are the kind of competition he's playing. And those are some of the best athletes in, in not just the state of Florida, but the entire country are coming out of that region. It's a great pickup. It's, and it's just it's another data point that shows Billy Napier knows how to recruit the quarterback position and evaluate what he's looking for in that room. He got Jaden Rashada to sign, though so that's three consecutive uh, guys, if both Lagway and Simmons end up signing, that are going to be, you know, three consecutive quarterbacks in the top 100. That's an impressive ball for a coach. So I'm, I'm really excited for him to come into to Gainesville, whether that's this year, next year, or the following year. It, bolter, it bolsters that quarterback room and reaffirms the fact that we're in good hands with Billy Napier recruiting a quarterback position. You you are just you are just taking that stick and poking that bear by continually mentioning Jaden Rashada. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's true. He, he did get him to sign. I think that I don't I don't think it's fair to to attribute that as an L to Billy Napier, but I also don't think it's fair to attribute that as a W. So I, I might I mean, because like the reason he did not come to Florida was not Napier's fault, but at the same time, he also is not going to play for the Florida Gators. So I, I might. I might call that a draw, but even if you throw Rashada out, that's going to make two classes in a row, assuming that both of them make it to campus, which we have to throw in that disclaimer now every single time after what happened with Rashada. But assuming Napier gets them both to campus, that will be two years in a row where Florida gets top 100 talent at the most important position on the field to come play for the orange and blue. And in terms of my analysis of Austin Simmons, I'm I'm a huge completion percentage guy. I believe that yes, there there is room for some some outlier data in there. Maybe guys will drop passes. Maybe his receivers will run the wrong route, and Simmons or the or the QB will throw the correct route, but the incompletion of the interception is due to the receiver running the wrong route. 
Uh, but I think overall, when you look at the sum of the data, I think completion percentage tells a large part of the story. And in each of his last two seasons, or his, I should say his first two seasons, because he's just finished his sophomore season of high school, each of his first two seasons as a high school quarterback, he completed more than two thirds of his passes which is very, very impressive to me because that says he's in sync with his wide receivers. He's smart. He's, he's got the brain power working for him. And I really think that that's something that translates to the next level, regardless of even, even if he wasn't playing that high level of ball, which he is, as you said. But I think unless the step up is so drastic, like if he's at the lowest level of, say, Iowa or Wyoming level football, like unless it's a, a step up like that, that typically does translate very well from high school to the college level. So I like that. And I like the, I, I like the fact, I mean, I'll say the idea. I like the fact that he leads receivers and throws pretty much every ball on the route tree. Very, very well. I like the idea that he can, he can kind of gauge his receiver strength. Like he can say, okay, this receiver that is running this route is a speed guy. So I'm going to lead him a little bit more. Whereas this guy maybe isn't that that fast, but he's tall and he can jump. So I'm going to throw the ball about three inches higher than it ordinarily would. He completes a lot of those balls. That all goes into his completion percentage. So there, there are some mechanical things that I think he could work on. I think that's true with a lot of quarterbacks who have just completed their sophomore year of high school. That's stuff that's coachable though. So whatever – uh, whatever you want to ding him on with that, I don't think is anything that's too problematic because that's what coaches at the college level are paid to do. And while he's not the most touted QB in the class of 25, I think he is certainly a very good one, but more important to me than the rankings and the ratings for guys who are just finishing the sophomore year of high school, he commits very early. There's something to be said about that when you commit very early as a QB, because you want to be the leader of the class. You want to set the stage. You want to set the tone for your class and you're, you know what school you're going to. So you can kind of sort of hand pick the guys you're going to be playing with. That's something that you see in true leaders that they, they're the first ones to get it going. They start it, they lead others follow. So I like that about him. Obviously, the technical stuff, you know, just touched on could improve, but I think all things considered, this is a great take for Florida. And I mean, really, with with still with two years to go before he completes his high school days, I mean, you, you can do a lot worse for a take in 25 than this. So overall, very happy, love the take, and I think the upside is big. One more thing I want to add is that the guy's got a 5.34 weighted GPA. So he's a smart guy. He's already graduated high school which is why he's able to make this transition to the college game sooner if he indeed makes that decision. So I think that also is a great thing that, you know, he's really book smart and, and that, and that, you know, having a smart guy intelligent wise helps you also become a very good quarterback because it means you're studious. You're going to be in the film room. You're going to be learning the playbook. Those are attributes that you also want to look for and your signal caller. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely can see that intelligence at play when he's throwing balls to different types of receivers too. You can see again that he, he, he knows just how to lead his receivers perfectly, whether their strength is height or, you know, catch radius or just pure burner speed. He just, he seems to be so in sync with them. And obviously like high school tape is not going to show the, the times where he's not in sync, where he throws the ball onto the ground or he overthrows them by 10 feet. But there, there, there's just so much data that shows he is in sync with them that I think the upside for him is, is humongous. So that's that's commitment number one that Florida's gotten in the last week. The second one is a running back named Kenan Daniels 
He is uh, maybe a little small, not tiny, but you know, 5'11", 190. Some room to bulk up, but I love what he can become. Chris, uh, your your thoughts on him before I go too much farther into mine. I'm, I'm really excited about this commitment. We talked about it as well in the last podcast that he it seemed like he was starting to trend toward Florida. This is a running back from Mississippi. This was a Jabbar Jaluk scouting report. And Jabbar Jaluk has gone through and scouted his running backs in the past very successfully. People like a Montrell Johnson, people like a Trevor Etienne when he did come over to Florida. Those are some big ones right there, obviously. those And it, it, he looks to be kind of built in the similar mold, similar running style as those running backs. This is a running back also that is starting to garner a lot of attention. He's just right outside of the top 350 in the 247 composite. But I do believe that that ranking will rise a little bit more. He recently committed to the U.S. Army All-American game. So he is a high school All-American. He's getting that recognition. He, in the last two seasons, has rushed for over 3,000 yards and scored over 30 touchdowns, both receiving and rushing. So this is somebody that is putting up some pretty good statistics at the highest level, 5A ball in Mississippi. So one of the highest level of, of high school football in the state of Mississippi. And, and this was a guy that a lot of other you know schools in the southeast were looking at, both Mississippi schools. Uh, as well as, you know, you know, the, he had an offer from Alabama. I'm not sure how big of an offer it really was, but he was still being looked at by University of Alabama. Ultimately, though, decided to go to the University of Florida and get coached by Jamar Jaluk and Billy Napier. And I, I think that early returns on the way they scout running backs, coach running backs, develop them is very good from what we've seen both at their time at University of Louisiana and so far here at the University of Florida. So with that commitment, we now have Chauncey Bowens and Kanan Daniels. That's it for the work running back room unless something changes where, you know, if maybe a Bowens flips to Georgia, then maybe we go back out and we try to sign two running backs. We definitely are going to take two running backs in this class, but I don't think I don't think we're going to take a third one. I think we're probably done it, too. Uh, we'll see. You never know. But I think this is a if those are our two running backs in this class, that's a really solid haul. Once again, two blue chip running backs. And, and in the past couple of cycles before uh, Billy Napier. Blue chip running backs were hard to come by. And we had a couple of cycles there where we just weren't landing them uh, as consistently as we would have liked. So this is good. This is good early returns, three classes in a row. We've got uh, blue chip running backs to show for. Yeah, he also had an offer from Oregon, I believe. He also had an offer from Auburn, also had one from Texas A&M. So even if you want to throw out the Alabama one as a quote-unquote non-committable offer, there's still enough other offers on the table that makes you think, well, all right, maybe he's not – the cream of the crop, but he's still clearly good enough for several SEC schools to want. And honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say running backs are overvalued because they're not like, if you have a special, special running back, like, you know, an, an Emmett Smith type who can, or a Barry Sanders who can completely change the game. It just makes everything so much easier, but all you really need is someone with good vision who doesn't fumble and can hold their weight as a blocker. And then you have a massive offensive line to have them run behind and that's it. And you're good. You just need someone who's above average at all the, the basic fundamentals of being a running back and an elite offensive line. And you're going to be just fine. Now, as for Daniels, um, like I said, he is a little small. I would like to see him bulk up a bit. I don't have any real reservations that say he's not going to. I think he has very good vision that I just mentioned. You need vision to be a running back. He's got that. I like his ability to put a foot in the ground and just explode off it and use it to 
become momentum for him moving forward. He is a Wildcat QB a lot on his high school team. I don't know that I say that that's a problem, but it does make me wonder how much skill slash reps he has as a blocker with Wildcat becoming pretty obsolete in 2023, unless, you know, Kadarius Tony is your QB, which he is not that, but you know, with the Wildcat becoming pretty obsolete, he's going to have to see a shift in those reps in which he's not lining up as a pure running back from being a Wildcat QB to being a guy who's in to block. Because otherwise, when he's in the game, everyone's going to know, well, he's getting the ball. Because otherwise, he's not going to be in there because he can't block. So I don't know how good or bad he is at that on a consistent basis. His highlight tape is not going to tell you that. And obviously, that's got to be something that you know you do at the college level. But as a pure running back, I'm sold. I love the quick burst. I love the speed. I don't think it's top flight speed, but it's certainly above average speed. I love the vision. I love the overall agility and footwork. And from what I hear, I mean, again, I'm not there watching the games, but ball security does not seem to be an issue for him. So like you said, I think Florida's I think Florida's done with running backs. I know that that there are some people who want Derek Gibson. And and you brought this up to me in text earlier today. Um, usually, you know what what we say in text stays in text, but it's interesting. So I'm bringing it on the show now. You said uh, I I don't think Florida wanted to wait for Jerry Gibson. I think that Florida was going to get the two that they were going to get in Daniels and Bowens, and then be done. And I think that that is a massive shift in the mode of operations after last cycle. I think Florida was a little jumpy. I'm not going to name names, but there's a certain position that's more important than all other positions in the game of football. I think Florida's a little jumpy there. I don't think that was Florida's number one target. And now Florida's got what they've got, and there's no recourse. So I think Florida's learning to be a little bit more decisive. There's obviously a balance you have to walk. I think Florida waited plenty long enough. It's now you know, mid-April, but I think that they spent more time initially early in the process identifying who they were going to want, going out and getting them. And then because they had done that preliminary research, because they'd been recruiting that position for so long and doing their due diligence for so long, now I think that Florida can feel a lot better about having who they have and being done. And there's no waiting. There's no more games. There's no Cormani situation. I mean, I guess it's possible that, you know, Bowens could flip to Georgia, as you mentioned, but there's no more waiting game with Jerry Gibson because he is a very highly talented guy. So he might, you know, I don't, I'm not going to predict it, but that could be a ridiculous commitment somewhere, somehow, some way. No, Florida's done. They're avoiding that. They're good with who they've got and they're moving forward. Yeah. No, I, I like the decisiveness from the coaching staff to just evaluate who they wanted. And they went out and got him. And I think you're starting to see that more so while we're able to have some early on success with the linebackers that we were able to get. We identified DJ Lagway early in the cycle, got him on campus multiple times last year, ultimately committed before the end of 2022 or the 2024 class. The coaching staff is starting to learn from their mistakes, which bigger picture is a great thing to see because last year we talked about how we weren't happy with the results on the field. What will this coaching staff do to learn from it? Well, they had some shortcomings in the recruiting game last year with bringing in some of that elite talent, closing on guys earlier when they get them on campus. We're starting to see that script flipped in recruiting because they're making the adjustments necessary to make that happen. Fast forward, hopefully, into the, the fall, we see something similar on the field. 
in game planning, game management, play calling, etc. So hopefully that this is something, this is an, this is another data point that bodes well for the future, remains to be seen. But right now, recruiting is off to a hot and fast start. Fourth on the on three rankings. We're near the top 10 in 247. Of course, 247 does their rankings differently than on three, on three more. So on the average of the class per player, whereas 247 is on the point system and you need more commitments in order to get higher points. But if you look at the average, Florida's in the top five as well in 247. If you look at the average player ranking, similar to how on three does it. Also a fantastic start. And I, I don't think we're done, Neil. I think we're going to see some more commitments this week going into the orange and blue game. Be on the lookout for that, and I think it's going to be a great week for, for Gator football. Yeah, um, I, I think it's very, very uh, – I, I just don't think it happens very often that, that you hire two coaches in your two breadwinner sports. So I guess I'll call it rare, a rare occurrence, where you hire two guys in your breadwinner sports at the same time, the same cycle, the same offseason, football and men's basketball. They're both young. They're both – you know, they've both got some things that you like. You can see that there's real promise with them, but they're both, for the most part, unproven. And, it, you know, when you go that route, you're going to have to be prepared for some growing pains. As, as meticulous as Billy Napier is, as analytically driven as Todd Golden is, you're just going to have to be prepared for some growing pains. So we see the growing pains happen in football, and now we see some corrective action being taken. Perfect transition, Gator basketball. I said time and time again, I'm not alone. This is not really a, a breaking news bulletin, but Florida didn't have a front court last year. They had Colin Castleton, who is an excellent college basketball player, but there's no depth behind him to speak of. Florida has to go out and do something about that this offseason. That's been the talking point that everyone who even has a passing interest in Gator basketball has been parenting. So, Chris, uh, we have a data point that says that he is doing that. You want to talk a little more about Florida's newest big man? Absolutely. So today we got a big commitment or a transfer from Marshall. It was the Sun Belt Conference Freshman Player of the Year, Micah Handlogten. Uh, we'll get that name right eventually. But he's a center, seven foot one, two hundred thirty pounds. I mean, absolute great, great height and size. Is a one for one at least in height and athleticism, replacing what Colin Castleton brought to the table. This is a guy that I think can slot right into that five spot next year in uh, Todd Golden's offense. And if you look back at Todd Golden's time in San Francisco and even the time this year with Florida, that center position is key to running the offense that he wants to run here at Florida. So this is a major commitment. And while his stats don't really fly off of the stat sheet, He's still a solid player. I mean, this is a guy that averaged nearly eight points a game, 10 rebounds. And like I mentioned, Sunbelt Conference freshman of the year. He was a star in the making, contributed big minutes to Marshall, and now he's going to take his talents to the Southeastern Conference. We'll see how that translates. At a, you know, Obviously, I think the SEC is arguably top three best conferences in America now in college basketball. I think there could be an adjustment there. But this is somebody that, based on what he's shown early on in his freshman season, is going to come to Florida and probably start. We, we're going to need him to start. Uh, we just haven't been able to get that big man kind of like uh, another Colin Castleton. And it would have been great to have had a guy like this last year on the roster if Castleton went down and, and then it ruined our hopes at, and at a NCAA tournament berth. 
And that's really because Todd Golden's offense has to run through the five. So this is big. This is huge for us. And hopefully uh, Micah is, is a major contributor in his first season here at Florida. I don't even know if I would say that that the the offense Todd Golden ran last year had to run through the five because I don't know what offense he was trying to run. They didn't have the personnel to do anything really because when Colin Castleton got in foul trouble, it just got so difficult to see what the method of putting the ball in the basket would be. I mean, the three-point shooting was so up and down. I mean, Jason Jatobo, I mean, I'll give him an A for effort. I will I will give that kid all the props in the world for the effort that he put forward, especially after the eye injury last year against Tennessee, but just wasn't there. So now I think with, with an offseason of landing more of the guys he needs slash wants to land, I think we'll be able to see more of the brains of Todd Golden sort of coming to life on the floor. We'll see a team that's comprised of guys that he wants a guy, a team that's comprised of guys that fit what he wants to do as opposed to just the leftovers. And then we can, I think, more fairly judge him. So I think that any synopsis of last season has to be, at least in hindsight now that it's over, is Florida's season as far as its as its goals with of you know, the goals that are there every year to win the SEC, to reach the Final Four, those annual goals, those goals were shot the minute that Todd Golden lost out on North Chad Ramirez to Miami and Jonai Broom to Auburn. Because, yes, there was Castleton, but behind him, as we just got through talking about, zero depth in the front court. There's no backup option to go to if he got hurt or got in foul trouble. So when Castleton left for the NBA, the job became, for Golden, you need to land a plethora of big guys, like several of them, just, just for depth and for nothing else, to give yourself some options Iron sharpens iron. See who does well. See who can be that guy for you come the fall. You need to stock up on guys who can play the four slash five. Maybe you can say as a stretch three ish type of player, just because I think, you know, he's a new coach. And if you're a young and unproven guy, the last thing you can afford is to let the same thing kill you year after year and quickly develop a rep for that. So anyway, there's one, uh, there's, there's one piece of the rebounding accounted for. I'm, I know I don't know that that the 9.8 rebounds a game will quite translate from the mid-major level to the SEC so seamlessly, but we do know that Micah Hanlogan can at least be somewhat productive down low. So good job by Golden on that. The process of building the front court has certainly begun. Now go get more. Keep keep going. Well, and the, and on that, I, I do believe that there is some news on that front where. Uh, he's going to have a Big East transfer, Tyrese Samuel, uh, officially on campus on April 15th. Tyrese has played both the four and the five. He's coming from Seton Hall. He's down to Wake Forest in Florida. This is a 6'10 guy. So let's imagine for a second Tyrese does play the four. You have Micah now playing the five. Tyrese, you know, you'll have the guy that's 6'10 and 7'1. You got twin towers there in your front court. That is absolutely going to solidify it. Not to mention, you already brought in EJ Jarvis, who could play that 3 4 role because he does have a pretty good jump shot, shooting almost 41% from beyond the arc. Todd Golden has, I think, so far, and if you look at the transfer portal uh, rankings out there, some people have taught what he's done thus far as the number one transfer portal class in the country. And, of course, I don't think it's it's done either. Uh, and we mentioned this last week. Walter Clayton is down to Florida and Iona. He'll be committing tomorrow at 1130 Eastern time. 
there have now been three crystal balls that have come in in the last several hours for Walter Clayton to commit to the University of Florida. It would be a massive get. He would very likely slot into that one spot as the point guard. And then we have, I think this is news in itself too, and, and almost bringing a guy back in Riley Kugel, who now will play the two. So you could have Walter Clayton at the one, Kugel at the two, you have Micah at the five, and then Tyrese playing, Samuel playing the four. That right there is almost your starting lineup. And then you can kind of pick and choose. Like, you play EJ Jarvis at the three or the four. You still have Alex Fudge coming back. You have Will Richard uh, also returning. Golden's going to have some a, a really good, solid rotation there of about at least eight guys that he could rely on next season that either have college experience or at, at Florida in the SEC or have a really solid college experience playing multiple years at other programs. I, I really like thus far what he's done with this with this roster rebuild. And it, it was a daunting task. It looked crazy as the guys were starting to leave the program in the days after the season ended. But it's starting to come together. And I don't think this is going to be a situation where last year it kind of felt like he was assembling pieces because he had to. And I'll seal a term that Neil likes to use, the island of misfit toys. We kind of was assembling that last year. And this year he doesn't have to. He's able to go out and actually pick and choose the players he wants because he's been on campus now for a little while. And 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 he's had time to evaluate and scout the right guys. I think I've used that term two times. I'm glad it had an impression on you. Um, yeah, I mean, Clayton would be huge. That would be a massive, massive get. Uh, him and Riley Kugel together would be a very nice combination in that backcourt. He is a very versatile guard. He can play the point guard role, play it well, but he's also so much more than that, which is why I don't want to I don't want to put him in as the one because he's so versatile. He can he, he's a bonafide scoring weapon. That's that's how I would describe him. 16.8 points a game. Eve, I know Iona is not in the greatest conference, but 16.8 points a game is not a mistake because, I mean, the, the technique... He was playing NCAA tournament basketball this year. And we yeah, were. right. And that's... Oh, granted, they got they kind of got sledgehammered in that NCAA tournament game, but, I mean, the, the technique... The, the national champions. <laughs> sure, the national sure. Champions that's true. Now. That's true. They did. Um, but yeah, I mean the technique, the fundamentals of, of shooting a you know shooting a jumper, um, you know the the, the technique of, of shooting a free throw, the technique of playing good defense, the technique of even dribble driving, all, all that is translatable. Sure, the opposition is going to be bigger, they're going to be taller, they're going to be faster. Guys that you blew by with your dribble drives at Iona probably going to stay with you a little bit more difficultly, or it's going to be a little more difficult to shake them. I guess is the better way to put that. Um, in the SEC than it was at Iona, but still the the mere skills, the the fundamentals, the technique is all very easily translatable. So he's got a lot of different ways you can put the ball in the basket, which is really what I like about him. He can shoot the three. Uh, he was he was I think forty three and change percent from three point land last year, uh, seventy two of one sixty seven. He can get to the foul line. He can convert from there. He was ninety five point three percent. From the free throw line, I think he was 102 for 107 last year. Um, you know, the dribble driving that, that that's there. He's got a mid-range jumper to go to if he needs it. So this is a massive get for Florida if they can get him. Like we can't say we have him yet just because of the crystal balls. We learned that lesson with Cormani McLean. But if Florida gets him, it's a massive get. 
Uh, guess we'll have to do another pod soon to talk about him if he does come. But there's a reason for all the hype. Uh, suffice to say that there is there is a reason that everyone's talking about this kid beyond just the fact that it'll make that 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 poke guy on Twitter jumping and doing the gator chomp. Um, yeah, so that's that's basketball. We'll have more to talk about there soon, I'm sure. On to Gator baseball. Big win this past weekend on Rocky Top, Chris. Uh, your your takeaways from that series dub are what? Well, uh, it is nice to see uh, Tony and the boys crying one out for for that one. Uh, it will it was a slugfest in those first two games, right? And the the memes that uh, those guys have it coming. You know, they talked a lot of trash last year. They didn't live up to the hype, and then this year they had some high expectations and haven't really lived up to them again. It's a great win, and 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 just because we lost the last one in, in pretty big fashion, but we played so well on, on Thursday and Friday night. The the bats are just incredible. I mean, this team could just produce offense on any given night. And overall, I do think the pitching is getting better and better and better. The starting pitching is showing signs of improvement, especially in the last two series. I think we're starting to find something with a guy like Slater in the in the in the relief. You know, kind of like what Michael Burns was able to do, where he's able to go and get. Kevin O'Sullivan, three, six, nine outs even to finish a game. Slater is starting to show he has that capability. I'm not sure he's quite there yet, but he's improving game by game, series by series. If the pitching can get there, this team's unstoppable. In my in my opinion, I think this team's unstoppable if the pitching can just get too good. I, I think right now it's slightly above average. I think if it gets to good, it, this is a national championship team just because of the offensive firepower we have. I, I haven't seen anything like this. Even in the years when we had Pete Alonzo and Harrison Bader and, and some of those teams were – and uh, J.J. Schwartz was another one, guy on that team where they could produce a lot of power. I don't remember this double digits consistently being put up on the board night in and night out from a Gators baseball team. So I, I think this is a squad that has the ability to make – a very deep run in the NCAA tournament. You know, of course, I'm sure you'll talk a little bit more about your bracketology. You saw it just recently came out this evening. You have a slotted as the three, number three national seed. Where we've been consistently there now in a lot of circles the last several weeks as, a, as the number three team in the country. I think this team has the ability to be the best by it's all said and done. And we're going to have some tough series coming up. We're going to play the Vandy boys in May. You know, we'll play South Carolina. We'll have a tough SEC tournament. That'll be a goblin. And that'll ultimately decide where we end up on that national seed line. But right now, this team is, is is playing very well. And it was great to go up in a hostile environment against a team that had a lot of expectations going on from the year before, returned a lot of players. And, and we went up there and, and, and took two out of three. It's an impressive feat to go beat a top 10 team or borderline top 10 team in the SEC and, and win a series like that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of takeaways. Um, first of all, I, I don't think that any Florida fan should want any part of that number one overall seed because number one overall seed hasn't even reached the College World Series since 2018 when Florida was number one overall seed. 2019, UCLA got bounced out of its own regional. 21, Arkansas got bounced out of its own super. And 22, I mean, we're still laughing at Tennessee's failure in its own super against Notre Dame. So, uh, I mean, number one seed also hasn't won the title since 1999. So hasn't even happened this century that the number one overall seed has won it all. So fear not, if you don't see Florida ranked number one or seeded number one in my or any bracketology, 
it's okay. It's perfectly fine uh, to not have number one overall seed. Um, but I mean, yeah, Florida's is Florida's as logical of a pick to win it all as any right now. I, I think that the first two games up on Rocky Top demonstrated all the reasons there were to like Florida, getting quality starts from Brandon Sprout, Hurston Waldrop, and then the bullpen, bullpen coming in doing its job. And they blew the balls out each of those first two games, both times by five plus runs. That's my personal threshold for a blowout. It's called slam proof because you know you can load the bases, give up a grand slam, and you're still winning. Jack Caglione had problems on the mound on Sunday. I do think there is possibly some revisiting to do there with what the Gators do with their Sunday starter. But reality is I don't think a ton of teams in college baseball do have a very strongly set Sunday starter. And sure, not many teams will walk the bases loaded and then give up three runs without giving up a hit. So yes, there's a problem. I'm not discounting it. I'm not ignoring it, but I think that I'd much rather have this be Florida's issue. I'd I'd much rather have, we don't have a great Sunday starter be Florida's weak link than having just a plain bad bullpen, which if you think back to a month ago to a month and a half ago, we said was the problem and we were worried would be what killed Florida. But I mean, recently Brandon Neely done a great job. Ryan Slater done great. Philip Abner's done great. Kate Fisher stepped up to his job. And then as you said, the bats, I don't really know if I'm going to keep calling him Jock Tani just because the pitching side of things is a bit shaky, but the bats incredible. I mean, he jacked a 488 foot moonshot on Saturday. Uh, you know, Wyatt Langford injury is a distant memory often running like nothing ever happened. How about Josh Rivera? Well, we're off talking about bats. We always knew he could handle a bat and put the ball in play, but this year bats on another level. He's hitting the ball to all fields and he's clearing the yard every weekend. It feels like, and, I mean, there are new names, too. Matt Preves, new name, two hits, one of them a home run in the middle game. I mean, there's just so much so much danger, I think, is there's just so much danger in this Florida offense that opponents have to be wary of. And if the bullpen keeps doing what it's doing and the Sunday pitching situation gets figured out, this is going to be a team that you will not want to face in the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, that's Gator baseball. Very, very, very bright outlook for the Gator baseball team. Slightly less so, I would say, with the other stickball team, Gator softball. Although a nice series win over a ranked opponent in Auburn, Gator softball probably not going to be in that top eight. As we talk about regional and super regional hosts, they're going to have to fight to get into the top 16. But overall, you know, put an opponent in front of the Gators, have them play them, put the ball down and let's go. And a rival in Auburn, if you remember, uh, some of the nonsense with the Fagan sisters not that long ago. So there's, depending on who you ask, potentially some 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 heatedness to that that series. And it's good to see the Gators win another SEC series over a ranked team as always. So, Chris, uh, we won't spend too much time on this, but what was your main takeaway from the Gators series win over Auburn? It's good to see them bounce back, especially after a really difficult series with Arkansas the weekend before. I think Florida needed something like this to kind of get their their rojo back. They're starting to slip in the rankings. And, they, you know, there's a lot of time, like you mentioned previous, on our previous podcast, where we needed to get uh, something going, some momentum going in order to get a higher seed. And, and this is certainly one way to do it. Now they got to string this together. they got to be more consistent. they got to get some of these, you know, just like baseball. Softball is a very competitive conference uh, in the SEC. They've got to find a way to make this a consistent thing where they're winning multiple series in a row, even sweeping teams. 
in order to rise back up into the rankings because they have fallen out of the top 15. So right now, they really wouldn't be looking at even really hosting uh, a regional. Uh, they'd have to do a little bit of work to get back up in that area. And I think they're, they can't they have time to do it. And this is one way to start with that. So it was good to see them get that win. And especially, what, I think we had the one walk-off, too. Kind of, it's always good when dramatic fashion like that's just a good morale boost for the team. But, you know, yeah, good win, good series win over uh, a good SEC team. And, and now we got to move forward and get and keep it going. Yeah, definitely like the fact that Florida kind, kind of got punched in the face a couple times in that first game against Auburn, and they kept bouncing back and responding. And then, well, landing the haymaker in the eighth inning with the Reagan-Walsh walk-off, love that. And then they came back the next day and took the series with a nice 6-3 win. Would have liked to have gotten the sweep. Auburn is a certainly a respectable team, but not a great one. You would have liked to have seen Florida sort of step on the throat on on the on Saturday in the finale and get the sweep. They didn't do it. Um, I, I'm liking the at bats I'm seeing from Skyler Wallace, from Avery Gells, and from Kendra Falby. I'm seeing a lot of barrels, meaning a lot of softballs, which is obviously you know what you want to see if you, you know, if you if you top one or if you get under one but you kind of loop it into a Bermuda triangle and it falls for a hit then okay whatever but you know barrels meeting balls are obviously what you want to see and Florida's th- those three ladies I'm talking about especially are really doing that more consistently now that they weren't even earlier in the year I mean there was a trip they had out to Oregon or out to, not to Oregon out to Palm Springs and those games weren't on TV but I, I mean I could just see from some of the highlights that they even well, I mean, there weren't many highlights in that game, but even even some of the hits they were getting weren't like they weren't barrel on softball. Uh, and I'm not even talking about that tournament in that last sentence. I'm just talking about from uh, the 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 bubbly invitational against I think it was Mercer Rutgers in Louisiana, um, and then the, the, it was another one I think against Connecticut Bowling Green Central Michigan and Delaware State. Well, actually, no, that one had more. I shouldn't say that they, they, they had, they had more barrels on meat softballs in that game, but it just feels like they're, they're coming on more consistently now than they were uh, earlier in the year. And that's definitely good to see. I'd like to see another batter two step up to help them. And of course, Charlotte Eccles, um, I'd like to see another bat step up and, and help them out and get some more consistency. The pitching I think is, is solid. I'd like to see another arm or two step up and help out uh, Riley Trilichek and Elizabeth Hightower and Lexi Delbert. Those are three, Certainly good arms. I'd like to see a, at least one more step up and help out on a more consistent basis that Florida can, I think, feel a lot better about about the pitching side of things in the NCAA tournament when, you know, one one girl has a bad day, it's not, you know, you're not, you're not sunk. So I like what I saw against Auburn. Definitely good to bounce back after two series losses in a row, Arkansas and South Carolina. Uh, Got to keep it going. The big series this weekend against Georgia. I... I'm planning on going to the Saturday game. It will be my first ever Gator softball game that I ever attend in person. Been watching them since uh, 07 or so, since Walton took the job. Those are some of my earliest softball memories are, are of that team that won 70-plus games or so. Uh, the Francesca Inea Grand Slam against Alabama in the, the 09 Women's College World Series is Still one of my favorite Gator softball memories. So looking forward to seeing the girls in person against the hated Georgia Bulldogs. All right, Chris, spring football season. Part of the reason I'm, I'm going to be in Gainesville next weekend. Spring game, Thursday night, prime time. Fans have, have more than voiced their opinion on that, but what's done is done. That's what's going to happen, and we're all going to pack the swamp as we ordinarily would for a spring game. Expecting, I think, 
north of 40,000 for that game. Um, a lot of things I'm looking for. Start with you. What are you looking to see? What are you hoping to see? And what, above all else, do you think do we need to come out of Thursday night having learned or or no? So I'll give you three things that I'm looking for. The first is the obvious. I want to see where the quarterback situation stands. Is some I would love to see for one guy, potentially Graham Mertz, to separate himself as the established starter going into summer and eventually into fall camp. I think it's it's important to see that. This is a guy that's played college football now for four years, transferred from Wisconsin, was expecting to be the starter. I want to see it. And if you're coming out of spring and you haven't really separated yourself against two quarterbacks that haven't started yet at the collegiate level, then guess what? That's a problem. That's actually pretty frightening if you haven't been able to do that. So I want to see if that's the case, because if it's not, then we're looking at either a Jack Miller or a Max Brown situation starting in the fall, or better yet, looking at a transfer portal quarterback, like some have speculated that we might still go for, because we don't have four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster at the moment. So that's one thing. The second thing is I want to see how the line of scrimmages look. I We've brought in a lot of transfers at both. There's been a lot of good talk about that the offensive line might actually even be better and it was last year, even despite some of the injuries that we've had, some of the guys that have been in the program a long time, like a Jake Slaughter finally stepping up and playing some meaningful minutes, a Richie Lennard, are they going to you know, slot into that center or guard spot next to Kingsley Igukon? And then who is you know, at the tackle position? I think we know Austin Barber is going to be there, but do we have a Keontae Goodwin or a Damian George? Who's going to slot into that other tackle position opposite of them? Because I think it's very important to have somebody blocking the quarterback's blind side in a situation where he's not going to be as mobile as he was last year, if it is indeed Graham Burns. So I'm really excited to see where the, the offensive line is and the defensive line too. We brought in some transfers there. We had one of them on uh, the uh, on our podcast here, uh, Cameron Jackson, who has definitely had some great moments this spring as well as Caleb Blanks from Louisville. We've heard some recent rumblings that he is starting to really get some meaningful snaps with the ones. I'm really excited. And, and you've got a guy like Prince Umanilin, who's a, who's a veteran, who potentially could go to the NFL next year. I think this is going to be a solid offensive and defensive line, and it's a line of scrimmage league, and that is how you win football games in the SEC. So I'm really excited to see how those ones perform in this game and, and if they can push some guys around. And then finally, I'm looking to see a playmaker outside of Ricky Pearsall in the receiver room emerge. We, we've heard of Andy Jean starting to turn heads early as a freshman. Now we've also heard Xavier Henderson, who I think people have been hoping would have a big breakout, start living up to that top 100 rating he had when he came out of high school. He had three touchdowns in the latest scrimmage before the orange and blue game. Can he carry that over into this game? Can he carry it over into the fall? And are we going to see that type of output when the games start being played in, in August and September? Those are my big things right there. Receiver room, playmaker separating, line of scrimmage, quarterback room, who separates themselves, if any. I mean, great insight, Chris. I, I, I think that those are things that if you asked 100 Gator fans on the street, they may not be as well-spoken as you are, but I think that those are the, the hot-button issues for sure. QB has to be number one because that is the position that controls so much of the offense. 
maybe you can sort of kind of hide it if you have a great offensive line, which is another thing you talked about, and you have great running backs behind them, which Florida probably does. But that's just so much of the offense stops and goes with that QB situation that that has to be the number one thing to look for uh, for pretty much anyone. I don't I don't know what Florida has there. And we're, you know, a couple of days out from the spring game. It's mid-April. We're I don't think it'll I don't think anything major is going to happen between now and then. So we're entering the spring game with a big fat question mark there. Is it Jack Miller? Is it Graham Mertz? Is it Max Brown? Is it, you know, is it neither of those two veteran guys? Or is it going to, is it going to be the guy we took as a, as a sort of safety valve as a security blanket from Oklahoma? Is he going to be the guy? Because he's the one that can probably run the best of the three. He's the most mobile. I don't know. You know, I've, I've heard very differing things about Graham Mertz at those practices. I haven't you know, seen any of them in person, but the people who talk to me say it's, it's very, very, it's, it's very buckshot. It's very, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a color wheel and you're throwing a dart at a color wheel with Mertz and you're landing in a different, you know, RGB code every time. Like you're getting a different version of him almost every day. The intelligence, the leadership skills, that's all great. That none of that's up for debate. But the accuracy, the decision making, you know, when he's under duress, when he's forced to make throws on the run, sometimes, yeah, they're great. Sometimes, yeah, they're great for the other guys. They're great for the defense who can't believe that he's throwing a ball into triple coverage for an easy pick for them. So I need to see something from Merch that puts all those differing opinions and those takeaways to bed or from Jack Miller. I'm not saying it has to be Mertz. I need to see one of them step up and differentiate himself from the pack or hell, it could be Max Brown. I don't care. I need to see one QB step up and show me something that he is the leader of the pack. Because if you go into summer ball with that still up for grabs, it, it takes away the reps with the ones from whoever the starter is going to be. And that's just that much less time that they're going to have as the QB one and that much fewer reps as the starting QB. So I need to see someone step up and take control of that QB battle. Number two, the freshman wide receivers. You talked about playmakers in the receiver room. Um, I couldn't agree more. That's a, I I think that's the thing that a lot of Gator fans are are looking forward to. I want to see what the freshmen have. You know, we're going to get Eugene Wilson later. We don't have him right now, but Andy Jean and Aiden Mizell have been making plays throughout spring ball, according to everyone I've talked to. So that's not a mistake. Those guys have been doing some real, real work this off season, this spring, I should say uh, in Gainesville. And I I can't wait to see them in action. I want to see them for myself because I've heard so much about them. The speed of Andy Jean, the catch radius of Aiden Mizell, Mizell can put his foot in the ground, do a do a double hitch, and zoom, he's gone. Four three eight, four three nine, four four oh, whatever, 40 speed, and just watch him take off down the sun. I want to see that. I have heard so much about it. I want to see that happen. And then flip it around. I want to see the cornerbacks that Florida has. I want to see Jakeem Jackson. I've heard a lot of great things about his speed. I've heard a lot of great things about his recovery, about yes, he's getting a lot better. In one-on-one coverage, he's not getting beat. Very, I mean, he never really did get beaten that frequently, but it's happening less frequently now than it was at the start of camp. I want to see that blazing speed when he, you know, if and when he gets beat, I want to see him use that four, four, whatever speed, that burner speed to recover and just fly down the sidelines. I want to see that physicality that I've heard so much about put into action. I want to see how he lowers his head and just gets his 
gets his jersey to, to turn the color of dirt. I want to see him get physical, get low, and make those plays that I've heard him make so consistently in practice so far. So those are my takeaways. Oh, and the offensive line. I think that's another one I have to have to throw out there. I, I want to see that offensive line in action. You've heard so much about it. Uh, it sucks that Cam Waits got hurt earlier in camp. Uh, Micah Miskua's status still up in the air. That sucks. But there are still a lot of maulers in there in that offensive line room, and I can't wait to see them in action. So – I mean, Chris, it's a spring game. <laughs> there's there's nothing you're not looking forward to. <laughs> I feel like you can just pick any position at random and say, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think that it's just exciting to see football again. We were left with a really poor taste in our mouth the last three games of the season. We were 6-4 and four after that throttling of South Carolina. We had all the momentum in the world. We thought we were going to go up to Vanderbilt. He's 7-4 going into Tallahassee, potentially with an eight-win season in Billy Napier's first year, and then we fell off a cliff. And I think Gator fans are eager just to get back on the horse, see what we got this coming season. And I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of predictions falling out there anywhere from where we're a six-win team to a nine-win team. We'll see. But this is the first step in seeing some of that offseason, the changes that we've gone through, where we've talked about where we had over 40% of the roster flipped in one season. The majority of this roster now and the production returning are Billy Napier recruited players either at the high school or the transfer portal. And I, I'm, I think we're just really excited to see, and they may be anxious, excited or anxious, one or the other, to see where this team is after an offseason, you know, strength program, conditioning program, and then spring practice now, we're ready to see what these guys got. And hopefully it's something exciting for the fans to see, for folks like yourself that are able to make it up there. I unfortunately will not. But I'm hoping for lots of commitments this weekend. That's the rumor. That's why we move this thing to Thursday, so we can get all the best athletes on campus for one night, under the lights in the swamp, and then hopefully the players on the roster put on a show for them and the fans. Yeah, so... I mean that that's a great place to end it, but uh, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a pre it wouldn't be a pregame episode of the podcast without some kind of verdict. So super super quick because it is a spring game and there's not too much you can possibly glean. Give me one thing that would make you happy to see. One thing that would make you uh, I don't want to say angry but but nervous or or frightened or or upset or, or just uh a little, a little anxious to use your word one thing you'd be happy to see and one thing you'd be not happy to see from the spring game well i already said that if the quarterback position doesn't separate itself grammar it's that would be a concern i'll give you a second if i'm seeing some of the same lapses in getting aligned understanding the assignment on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the secondary. I'm seeing some of the same mistakes again from last season. That's going to make me angry. That's going to make me very concerned because we've, I, I would think in an off season where some of that room has changed, the coaching makeup has changed there as well. That needs to be fixed. So I'm hoping to see some improvement there. And, and that would, you know, I, I just don't want to see it. What would make me happy is if we saw, more of the the freshmen and the transfers that Billy Napier has brought in continue to be the best players on the field. Because what that tells me is that his evaluate his staff's evaluations and scouting is is still fantastic. We we think we saw some of it with his ability last year because a lot of the players that performed the best on the team 
where either players you've recruited at the high school level are brought in through the portal. And I want to see if that continues, that trend continues this year. And being that there are more players, uh, the majority of the roster now is made up of those guys. I'm hoping to just see those guys really dominate and start taking those first team reps consistently. And that's, I think, the biggest key because last year, Billy Napier thought he could just do a couple of, of bandit applications here and there and all would be good. And then he saw the season play out the way it did. And there were some really, really good holdovers for sure. Ventrell Miller, Ethan White, Justin Shorter, Richardson, of course. By, by all means, there were some very, very, very good holdovers. But by and large, the team just wasn't cohesive. It wasn't there. It wasn't what it needed to be. And he said, well, okay, I guess I got to do this from the ground up. No, no short, nothing took shortcuts, but I think he realized that the the cleanup task was a lot bigger than he initially thought. So now, whereas a year ago, I would say the roster was without having it in front of me, probably about, probably about 70, 30 Mullen to Napier guys. Now it's about 80, 20 for Napier guys. So I think if, if you get your wish there and the best players on the field are Napier guys, Florida's going to have a much better football team than we saw a year ago. Much, much better, just simply because of that number. Because the best players on the field a year ago, for the most part, were Napier's hand-picked guys. So, yes, that's a great point and definitely one that I think should be continued to be hammered away at this offseason as fans maybe get a little antsy. Well, we're six and seven. I don't know if Napier's a guy. That's something that you might want to might want to counter that with. Just remember, you know, Montreal Johnson, ETN, uh, you know, Ricky Pearsall, the defense, Chris McClellan, uh, you know, Shamar James, the best guys on that field, or Devin Moore, Kamari Wilson, the best guys in the field were Napier's guys. So just a little patience there. So great point from you there. Um, what would make me happy is seeing Arliss Boardingham do what I've been hearing he's been doing throughout practice consistently on that field because you know, we, we brought this up a couple pods ago. We heard a lot of buzz about Dante Andrews. He's been doing great. He's been doing great. He's been doing great. He's stepping up. And then the season came and he, you know, he, he just didn't, it, it didn't produce. He didn't produce the way we thought. So I'd like to see Arliss Boardingham step up and give me some tape in front of the whole world to see that matches the hype that I've been hearing about him in spring practices. And what would make me, uh, not happy is the same thing that you mentioned. I think that is by far the most important thing to see this spring. We need to see someone step in front. We don't need to see a winner even, but I need to see someone step up and take control of that QB position, be it Max Brown, be it Graham Mertz, be it Jack Miller. I need to see someone step up and take command of that QB room, just if for no other reason than it gives whoever would be the starter this fall that many more reps as the QB one this offseason. Oh, and and no injuries, obviously. Uh, it goes for every game. No injuries. Uh, Chris covered a lot. Uh, got four sports in there. I think that's going to do it for this pod. Anything? Unless you have anything else to add. Nope. Excited, like we mentioned, to get some more commitments this week. Stay tuned. Keep on the socials. And uh excited to see how this team looks in uh in in the in, in the spring game. And one more thing too we do want to mention is that the in all kinds of weather uh, podcast was our website we have partnered with Alma Mater apparel company and they are a fantastic apparel company. Neil shared them on our Twitter account 
this past week, we're going to be sharing it a lot more frequently on our social media. But it's a fantastic company. They sell anything from visors to hats to shirts to sweatshirts, both men and women. And they're just really great looking apparel. They made themselves pretty famous for the dominant sweatshirt that came out that a lot of the coaching staff wore. And they are now donating a lot of the proceeds from some of these sales to NIL efforts. So uh, we talk about what the impact of NIL can make. They are not just doing this for football or basketball. They're doing this for all sports. They're showing that they're going to support every athletic program at the University of Florida. And if you're buying from Alma Mater, you're also supporting the athletes in the NIL effort. So this is when we all thought that NIL could be something great for college football or college sports. This is what we meant. So go on in all kinds of weather, Twitter, and hit that link and find yourself some great apparel, whether you want to wear it to uh, that orange and blue game this weekend or, or just around town uh, ahead of the football season. It, it's, it's a great place to get your Gator gear. It will also be on the website in allkindsweather.com uh, as well. A little, little back-end work required for me to create uh, a nice little 728 by 90 banner and then just put the link behind it. But as soon as I do that, uh, probably by the time this is out there, it'll be on the website. So with all those, all those Google ads that you guys see that we, we have been selling for the past several years, you'll see one for Alma Mater. You'll know it when you see it and hit that link and get yourself some. Honestly, Chris, I mean, this this is a phenomenal sponsor for us. I I understand like, yes, we're getting paid to say this because we're getting paid for the referrals, but it is objectively amazing gear. Um, I'm definitely going to be getting some myself um, in the near future. So with that all taken care of, I think that's, I think that's a pot. Um, Y'all continue to stay safe, continue to stay healthy. And hopefully we pack that swamp Thursday night and hopefully, hopefully, Enough of y'all will be staying over in the Gainesville area this weekend so we can continue to pack those stickball parks. Big series against Georgia coming up for both baseball and softball. It's a rivalry. It, it gets nasty. Those those dugouts last year in Florida, Georgia, uh, up in Athens and the baseball just, I mean – um, I'm 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 pretty close with with Hunter Barco and some of the, some of the stuff he said that that was being said between those dugouts. <laughs> I'm I'm not a Puritan. Chris will confirm that I'm, I'm no Puritan. Very very few things shocked me, but some some of the things they were saying were you know back and forth between the dugouts was kind of kind of shocking even for me. So uh, yeah, rivalries. Florida Georgia got to win. Got to get two of those three uh, both on the softball diamond and the baseball diamonds. So hopefully we can better position ourselves for the postseason. Spring game Thursday night. Hopefully we got some news on the basketball front to bring to y'all in the near future as well. With all that taken care of, enjoy bringing this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast to you for Chris Yanes. Neil Shulman, if you wouldn't mind giving us a nice review and a five-star ratings on on Apple Podcasts and hit that like button and subscribe button on YouTube. We'd very much appreciate that. Until next time, go Gators.